This is going to be pretty, pretty quick, but um, I just want to comment on this Oslo Freedom Forum slash conference that happened, oh, a week and a half ago or so. And I noticed it um, because a lot of the Bitcoiners go. I'm not sure if it's a specific Bitcoin related conference. I think it's just been co-opted by the Bitcoiners. But I will say that it, it might be integrated into there's a certain um, organization called the Human Human Rights Foundation. And I'm not sure if they put this on or just helped organize it. Um, but um, this organization specifically um, promotes freedom around the world, uh, I'd say through Bitcoin. Um, it seems to be like Bitcoin is the only tool that they have really, or, or, or they have two missions, right? Promote Bitcoin, um, also promote freedom. Um, but where these two interests, um, they really tend to focus on where these two interests intersect, which is fine. Uh, I'm fine with that. If I see Bitcoin as a tool as well, I'm very critical of Bitcoin, but it is a tool. And so where it intersects with this idea of spreading freedom is great. Um, and if you want to have an organization that is narrowly focused on that, I suppose that's fine too, but I, I just want to point out this just blatant hypocrisy I see. Um, so this event was held in Oslo, Norway, and I see a lot of, um, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin people tweeting about how uh, um, they had a big presence, you know, maybe they didn't take over the conference, but it definitely has a huge Bitcoin presence. Um, so, What's super funny, though, is that they have they're mainly focusing on sort of not a, not freedom in Oslo, right? Not freedom in Norway. They seem to be focused mainly on trying to spread freedom around the world. And yes, I, I admit that Norway has a lot more freedoms, probably individual rights than, say, a country in Africa. So um, on a spectrum, yes, Oslo has more rights than say something someplace in Africa where there's like a dictator. But this is this, I have to point this out. Um, and this is, there was an article uh, in zero hedge today. And it basically said this one um, activist. And let me see if I can actually find it. I might've linked to it. No, I didn't. But if you just go to um, zero hedge, uh, there's an article that says Norwegian feminist faces three years in prison. Norwegian feminist faces three years in prison for saying biological men can't be lesbians. So um, she's a critic. She basically has made some comments um, that basically say uh, men can't, you know, be mothers. So she's criticizing um, the idea that men uh, um, can, so she's probably criticizing the idea. She's just voicing an opinion that in her mind, she doesn't believe that, that biological men can be women, can give birth, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so she's criticizing these other groups. Um, and apparently this is considered a hate crime. It's a, it's being considered a hate crime. Uh, to basically voice an opinion, a view, right? And words, um, words that aren't directly harming or calling for harm for someone or individual, uh, that's not um, words that are just offensive to you, right? This is free speech. Free speech means that you get to say things that offend other people. And I do realize, and I don't know the culture in Norway, about, you know, I guess they don't have free speech. And it seems to be like the entire UK and almost the entire Europe, there's no free speech anywhere. Like you have these hate crime laws um, that have been introduced. And in this Zero Hedge article, it basically says this hate crime law was introduced a year ago. And uh, they have, they also mentioned cases in the UK where people are being investigated for hate crime, um, just for basically insulting someone or offending them or basically stating an observation about the world uh, that doesn't hurt anybody, right? An insult is technically not 
hurtful to someone. Words don't hurt people. Now, I grew up with this phrase, um, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I don't think they teach kids this anymore. I think this has been, um, this ideology, right, has been replaced by something else, right? And this is, this is part of the woke, if you want to, you know, people label the stuff woke stuff. Um, but I, I want to, you know, maybe we shouldn't call it woke. Maybe we should actually explain what's going on here in that they're policing speech and speech is basically just thoughts and thoughts can never hurt someone, you know, and this is a slippery slope. We see this stuff starting to creep into the United States, right? Where things can be, where, where um, we had tradi- we have traditional hate crime charges where, you know, rightly so, the Buffalo shooter, right? He's going to be charged with a hate crime uh, because he basically says his motivation is because he hates black people. And that's why he went and shot a bunch of black people. Um, pretty, pretty clear, clear case there, right? Um, now, the people that are against hate crime laws um, fear that they will be applied unevenly. So they're only going to be applied to certain races that commit crimes and not others, and that they might be used also to um, to uh, increase the sentence of someone who might be like a political enemy. Maybe they've maybe they've murdered somebody, uh, but their their crime maybe wasn't hate. Maybe it was just a robbery gone wrong. But yet they slap a hate charge on there because the races are different, um, just to punish sort of a, a racial group, right? Um, I can see this happening. But what we see now, you know, and that that's a fear. That's still a fear today, right, that you'll get an extra hate crime charge um, slapped on you, right? And it's not just for murder. It's for things like, you know, any kind of crime. Technically, they could slap a hate crime on, on there. So, like, we've seen vandalism, right? We've seen people vandalize, um, you know, uh, monuments, right, statues, right? And then we've, we've seen people vandalize even BLM, you know, street paintings, and they'll even slap a hate crime charge on that, right? They'll slap a hate crime charge on that. And that's like, what would you call that? I would call that a property crime. Now, it has a clear, it looks like, right, there's a clear motive there that they don't like BLM. But maybe they don't like BLM fraud, right? It, you can't really just jump to the fact that um, BLM is an organization. You can't really just jump to the fact that they don't like black people. Like, there could be many reasons why they don't like BLM. Maybe they didn't like the riots, right? There could be lots and a lot of white people participated in that burning down a city. So there's going to be lots of reasons why um, somebody commits a crime and just giving the power of the state to slap this thing called hate crime, which is very difficult to figure out because you have to get into the mind of someone and determine motive. Now, they do determine motive. And there's something legally about the criminal law that you have to like um, when you're committing a murder. Um, there's something called intent and you think that that's like, you think that that's in your mind and in a way it is, but you can determine intent from a murder based off of, did they kill this person? So, um, I, I listened to Andrew, Andrew Branca, who's a, um, who's a, um, criminal defense, um, attorney. Actually, he advises people like, uh, you know, like, um, oh, what's his name? The guy that just got off. In Kenosha, I've already forgot his name. Uh, probably no one else has forgotten his name but me. <laughs> but anyways, that guy. So he advises, now he didn't advise him, but he advises people who get into trouble and are claiming um, self-defense. So there's something called intent, which is really interesting. And technically for a murder to happen, uh, they have to have like intended it to happen. But that's the distinction between a murder, a murder charge, right? Um, and I don't technically what they call it, but a murder charge uh, where you intended to murder them. Like if you hold the gun to someone's head, that's intent. You don't need to actually go into their brain and, and figure out motive. Actually, so motive actually is actually different from intent. Intent can be figured out from observing um, actions. So I'm not explaining this the best, but um, again, I refer to Andrew Branca's legal legal expertise. Uh, if you want to look into the d- distinction, but you can, um, as a as a normal person, you can understand the difference between um, robbing a store and murdering someone by you know holding the gun to their head, and uh, you know driving your car, um, having an accident, and murdering someone, right? 
uh, just through through just a plain old accident. That's you would say that. Well, if they didn't purposely run this person over, there's no intent, right? So this is like an accidental case of of homicide, uh, which would be called, I think, manslaughter, right? So there's there's but with a hate crime, um, I suppose you could you could try to figure out if they if they purposely did this because uh, they hated the race of of, of some group, but um, it's a little bit more difficult than just, you know, looking at intent and the murder laws. Like motive, um, there can be explicit motive. Like, and I think that the Buffalo case will prove that, that he was racially motivated. Yes, there's clear evidence. But what they want to be able to do and where the, where the government has the most power and the most tyranny is when things are fuzzy. When, um, when something can look like a hate crime from the outside, say a white person, uh, murders a black person, maybe it's just a robbery gone wrong, right? Uh, and yet they want to slap a hate crime charge on that. Um, and it looks, from the public's perspective, it just looks like, oh, okay, well, I guess he shot him maybe because he was black or, or whatever. Um, it, it could be twisted into, um, and maybe it was just a robbery gone wrong. Uh, and maybe he doesn't, it, it's not justice to give him the hate crime charge, but if you introduce these fuzzy hate crime laws, they could be... Um, Number one, unequally enforced, and number two, um, uh, badly applied, right? Just badly applied. And then we get into hate crime charges for property crimes. It gets even more fuzzy. It gets you. It gets even more ridiculous in, in in the leeway that we basically give these prosecutors who are publicly elected, right? These prosecutors who are are, um, are in charge of going after, um, you know, seeking justice right, for the victims of, of crime, uh, we give them enormous power when we uh, allow them to slap additional hate crime charges on everything, right? And now the slippery slope goes from murder to, uh, and most people would, would agree that, like, if somebody murders someone for race, maybe there should be extra sentence there, sure. But then you go to property crime with hate crime, with hate charges applied, and then now we're going to um, speech, right? So fundamentally, where is speech? against the law. Where's the crime in speech? Because to have a hate crime, to have a hate charge added on to a criminal offense, we first need to prove that the speech was illegal. What is making this speech illegal? Um, how do you define what is illegal speech? Is it to offend someone, right? Are we not allowed to disagree anymore? Are we not allowed to have a difference of opinion anymore? Um, so you have um, so what we what we see is these the speech that some people don't like that they find offensive. They 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 think it's hurting them because it hurts their feelings, um, and I guess it's because they've never really um, disagreed with anybody. Maybe it was just the way they were raised, um, or or it's a way to punish their ideological enemies, right? And that's my view is that really it's just a, a power grab um, from these people, uh, and that they really are totalitarian type people. They really don't want people disagreeing with them. And they fundamentally uh, sort of want to crush their ideological enemies. Like they're not tolerant people at all. Um, so, um, so now speech that that um, that it, that they don't like, right? Um, now there's this hate charge. And why why does the government love um, racial issues? Because they can, every time there's like considered a racial problem in this country, um, they have they pretend like they need to come in and fix it. They need to they pretend like they need to come in uh, and have these extra charges or rules um, to to help solve the problem. But what what happens is is the government doesn't like say um, a bunch of Bitcoiners talking about inflation or anybody talking about inflation. So they wanna to try to censor this, right? They wanna call it misinformation, but the easiest, so it's really clear, um, the average Joe can see just what the government's doing. Hey, you don't like us talking about inflation. Um, uh, that's why you are trying to censor us, you know, or, or get us booted off the platform. Well, um, it's it's very easy to for the average Joe to see this, but if they if they say, well, you don't like our views because you're racist or because, um, um, you know, you don't like trans people <laughs> or you don't want trans people to be on your women's um, soccer team 
for swim team. Uh, so, so we need to, um, we need to come in here and protect trans people. We need to, uh, make sure that nobody's going to offend them by saying something like, oh, well, uh, uh, men can't be, be, be real mothers. You know, they can't really give birth. They can't be mothers, something like that. And this maybe offends somebody who's trans. Um, so what the government says is, look, we have an in here. We can go in there, slap a hate crime charge on this speech and basically get the public to fear making these comments in public, or at least if you're in Norway or the UK. Um, uh, and increasingly, probably this is the future of the United States, right? They want to do this in the US. Now, maybe we'll resist because we actually have freedom of speech uh, laws here, like in our constitution, uh, but, um, you know, First Amendment. But um, but I guess the UK, they never passed this stuff because, you know, they don't really they don't have this history, I suppose, of, of freedom of speech, which is really odd to me um, that they don't. Uh, but I guess that's the difference in America. Uh, but if we allow ourselves to let um, certain, quote unquote, victim groups um, want uh, allow them to um, to to claim that their that their crime is being committed against them, because there's so a hate it's a hate crime, right? They they think a crime is being committed against them if you don't agree that a man can uh, transform himself into a woman and give birth, right? Now I I think I think it'd be cool if that could happen. I I hope that you know what's that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, where it's, I think it's called Twins, where, where he's the one that, um, maybe not Twins, I don't know what it's called, but he basically gives birth. I think that's awesome. Um, uh, hopefully, medically, they can figure that out. Uh, but, but still, he, he, you know, there'll still be people, and I might even say, well, genetically, he's still, he's, he's a male, but he's just been modified. <laughs> you know, he's been, there's been technology added to him where he's able to carry a, a real baby and give birth. Um, that'd be kind of cool. I, I would say, I would actually say, well, there's a difference, though, between females giving birth and this, this modified male that can give birth, uh, because the female never had to be modified in a way to be able to give birth like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, but you could, you could still, I would still agree that, that generally he gave birth and he carried the, the baby, and so he's like a mother, but he's not the exact same thing as a woman who didn't have to become modified to give birth. But um, this idea that we are going to police speech that we don't like um, is really dangerous. Uh, it's not a crime to say something um, out loud that's, that doesn't violate someone else's rights, that doesn't actually harm them, right? Or it's not a threat to harm. This doesn't violate anyone's rights. So someone saying something uh, that you disagree with, right, but doesn't actually affect you and doesn't, it's not a crime against you, it doesn't violate your rights, is not a crime. So then how can you attach a hate crime charge uh, and say this is against the law, right? What what are they fundamentally talking about when they talk about um, hate speech, right? What So now they're criminalizing speech. And if you criminalize speech, you're criminalizing thought. And I'm going to tie this back uh, here. I'm going to tie this back to uh, the title of this post, which is, um, I think that for a country to even pretend like they're free um, they need to respect um, people's ability to speak. What are you if you can't speak? What are you if you can't say something that offends somebody else? Um, well, then your rights are being taken away from you. And so I can I can say here that if if this is true, if the story is true that this woman could go to prison for three years just for saying something like a man can't you know uh, ever be a real mother <laughs> or a real lesbian or something, whatever she said. Um, nor people in Norway have no rights, and I would assume that anybody who visits Norway and who um, who maybe has a Twitter account and is posting this stuff or speaking about this publicly could also be arrested if they offend the right person and they um, you know charge them and, uh, while they're visiting this country. So I'm very surprised that like um, these Bitcoiners um, had the um, the gall to go to Oslo number one because I bet you there's a lot of them there that. Um, are huge proponents of free speech. And I'm going to have another episode later talking about free speech and code and Bitcoin, because there's a big community of Bitcoiners and, and crypto people in general who think that 
uh, code is free speech, right? And so they, they want to really uphold free speech laws because they think it applies to code. Now, I think that they're mistaken in their application of um, free speech laws, particularly to code that is in production or active code that does a function like transfers value or transfers money in a money uh, monetary system that they've created, like a, a DAO or something, like a decentralized autonomous organization that is sole purpose is to custody some tokens and then transfer them about. Um, you know, that's not just you posting code on your GitHub. That's not just you sharing code in a white paper, right? That, that this is not just an expression. This is an active, um, this is active software. And I saw Bruce Fenton, he's running for, um, oh, he's running for Senator in New Hampshire. He's a Bitcoin guy. He basically said that code running software is free speech. They can't tell you what code to run. And I agree with, with this partially, like, yes, in theory, in the broadest sense, yes, you're allowed to run code that doesn't harm other people. You're allowed to run code that doesn't uh, break the law. You're allowed to run code that doesn't like um, interact in a real world scenario uh, um, and break laws or, or provide services to people without really providing services to people. There's, there's ways you could describe Bitcoin that um, the miners are running this software, but what is the code doing? What's the context of this code? Yes, you're allowed to run code as long as it doesn't break the law. So what law are these Bitcoin miners breaking? They're actually breaking money transfer laws, right? They're breaking their financial institution because they're, they're, um, they're moving money around for people. They're a third party service provider and they're not registered as a financial institution. So I do think that that code, you can't just say, oh my, this is my free speech. Well, free speech is just supposed to be words or an expression. It's just supposed to be an expression. It's just supposed to be thoughts, not action. Action is something else. And you, there's rules to your action and your code of conduct. And what, what, you know, if you are out in the world and your code is, do, you know, basically providing a business service, um, you're going to be, you're, there's going to be certain standards and you're going to be responsible for what this code does. And just saying that, well, this code is out in the wild, it's my free speech. I don't think that cuts it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that um, at a future, at a future time. Um about, um, you know, the, the code is free speech. But back to, I just want to, um, I just want to wrap this up back to my original thought. And then I'm, I'm, I do see I have a call. So I will take the call. But uh, real quick, because um, I didn't want to go down the free speech code thing, but I ended up doing that. Uh, so I just think it's funny that this Oslo conference, which is about freedom, it's supposed to be about freedom, right? And, and yet, in I had to hold this conference, the very country that the Bitcoiners flock to, uh, uh, is prohibiting basically freedom of speech. Uh, makes it a crime, right? They're calling it a hate crime if you offend somebody in this country. How can this country then proclaim to be spreading freedom around the world? I mean, are they supposed to emulate Norway, Norway's lack of freedom of speech? Um, and I just think it's odd that I wonder if this topic came up in the conference. Probably not, or else they would have all been arrested, right? And I did see a picture of like you know Nick Carter and Lynn Alden and Gladstein. Um, during this week, they went to Oslo, basically talking to politicians in Norway, basically talking about how Bitcoin can help uh, with freedom. Either I guess in Norway, I suppose. Why would they be be lobbying politicians in Norway, right, about Bitcoin's freedom goals. Um, well, I wonder if this topic came up. I wonder if they, they said, hey, look, um, we really don't like your freedom of speech laws here, your lack of them at least. Uh, did this come up? I mean, so in my mind, um, it's just, it's odd that, number one, you hosted this conference about freedom in Norway and I realize there's different degrees of freedom around the world and no country is really perfect. Uh, but this is like 
this is one of the basic things. If you can't speak, right, how can you expect any politician to to allow Bitcoin? I mean, I could claim that Bitcoin's racist, right? Just because if math is racist, you know, Bitcoin's racist. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but you could claim that. Um, and so all these hate speech laws, they really come down to offending people, uh, uh, elevating victim groups, um, giving them like powers to to combat their enemies and uh, where, where there's no real crime committed in my mind. Tell me where the crime is on, on speech uh, that's offensive to somebody. Um, so um, so I just yeah, the Bitcoiners, do they do they even mention this at this conference? Uh, and it's funny that they go to the politicians not to speak about real freedoms, right? Real freedom of speech. You know, if Bitcoin is is this thing for freedom, uh, then it should help freedom of speech, right? So why aren't the Bitcoiners actually talking to politicians about this? You know, in Norway, I don't know what they talked about there, you know, but I'm I'm sure it probably didn't include this basic basic issue of freedom of speech in the, their own country. So okay. Oh, he left. Dang it. Um. Let's see. Someone said, unless there is a premeditated action whereby the action was thought about and followed up on the premise harm, which is non-existent in the way hate speech laws are being implemented across nations. Premeditated action. Where the action was thought about and followed up on the premise harm. Hmm. I don't know what he means there. Which is non-existent in a way that hate speech laws are being implemented across nations. To, so, I mean, I don't know what, what this really means, this comment, but um, he, he says action. Yeah, and, and speech, is not, um, speech is not an action, in my opinion. Um, and I think he's, he probably is talking about here how if you um, say you're going to harm someone and then you go do it, Right. That's bad. And that's probably a crime. I agree with that. You can't threaten to harm anybody. But this this example that I gave of of this Norway um, activist, she was just, um, you know, expressing opinion about how she doesn't think a man can can be a real mother. Um, That's that's basically she's being charged charged with a hate crime for offending, you know, a select group of people who, um, you know, who basically were offended by, by this statement. And I'll just say that if we, uh, if we're not allowed to speak and basically just make observations, even about our world, right. We're not even allowed to make observations anymore and just say that a man, you know, can't give birth. Um, if, if you're not allowed to make these observations publicly, you can still think them in your head. But what happens is they say that people, if they can't speak about it, they tend to not even want to think about it because some people fe- fear even that. They fear that if, if they even think it, it's wrong. Um, but I, I think that if you're not even allowed to observe reality through speech, right, your, your thoughts, uh, you're, you're basically, they're forcing you to live in a world that that is just made up. It's not, they're forcing you to ignore reality or deny it, right? You're, you're, you're being forced to say two plus two equals five, right? And if you don't think so, uh, you're going to charge you with a hate crime. <laughs> like to me, that's what this, that they're charging this woman with, you know, we're telling you that two plus two equals five. And if you don't think so, and if you don't say so, uh, then you are going to be charged with a hate crime, right? That That is what's going on here. They're basically denying you. Um, it's worse than just, just having freedom of speech. It's um, because it's worse than just them policing speech. It's a basic denial of reality. It's telling you you can't observe the world around you and make observations and, and predictions and statistical predictions uh, you better not make any observations. You better not learn anything about your environment uh, or else we're going to call you a racist, right? You're not allowed to make any kind of rational decision 
uh, based off of statistics or even some false idea that you have from, from maybe pattern recognition, maybe you've been watching the news and you're, you're a woman, right? I'm a woman, right? And you're afraid of men alone, alone, right? You're alone. You're afraid to be alone with strange men you don't know. Like, you know, maybe not everywhere, right? Not in the workplace, but like if you are walking through a parking garage downtown late at night and you're a female and there's just a big group of men or maybe just one man, right? And you're going to get into the elevator and he's in there and he just kind of creeps you out a little bit. You're like, well, I'm a female. I'm a female and I know that he's stronger than me. So if there was an altercation where it was me against him, he's going to win, right? And this is just a basic fact of reality that men are stronger than women and that women feel vulnerable uh, when they have to get into, you know, cages, um, cages of like basically an elevator is a steel cage. Um, and we're not even allowed to, we're not even allowed to, to think that way anymore because, oh, it'll look like I'm, you know, I'm being sexist towards, towards men, you know, or, it, you know, it'll, it'll look like I don't think women are strong. You know, I'm not a good feminist if I think that way. Uh, and I realized that this, this is, this is just a statistic, right? But it's used, we used, we use observations and statistics and pattern, pattern recognition about our reality and the world we live in to make, uh, to make predictions for our own safety. And I think this is where, um, this woke stuff will end. It's when your safety, your personal safety is on the line. And are you going to really risk your children's life just to say, you know, just to please somebody so that they don't call you, you know, racist or something? Or are you going to, to uh, say, well, this is my safety. I, I don't want to walk down this alley. Uh, I feel very uncomfortable. Something is, you know, I have this intuition about this. And there's this great book by, um, it's called The Gift of Fear. And it was presented in the 90s, I think. Uh, and this, I forgot his name, um, but the author of it now runs a security company. But he he basically interviewed a bunch of, of, of people that were victimized. And he wrote a whole book about how um, we can listen to our intuition and that we, we shouldn't try to really rationalize our fear. Like our fear our intuition, uh, the root of that is to know. And um, what we do now is we, um, there's lots of stories in this book and he tells them, and, and there's one story of this woman who holds the door open for this guy. Um, and he, she's, she's walking up some stairs and um, she drops some cat food. And this guy, um, sorry, she didn't hold the door for him. He was already sort of in the apartment building and she's walking up the stairs and she hears this voice of this guy saying, oh, I'll help you with that or whatever. So she, the guy picks up the, the cat food, food can and helps and puts it in her um, in one of her bags. And um, he says, oh, well, let me help you with that. Let me help you. And she's she's like, oh, I got it. And then he, he but he insists. And he also on the way says, don't worry, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do anything bad to you, like, or whatever. And then when they get to the door, he, he says, oh, I'm already this far. Let me just help you put it in, on the counter. And, and she feels uncomfortable. And this is a rape survivor, right? This is a rape survivor who, um, who lived to tell the tale. And she's only alive because she listened to her gut. Whenever he was done raping her, she thought he was going to kill her. And, um, he went into the kitchen like to find a knife probably. And she hurt. She didn't even, she said she didn't even think she just got up from the bed almost, almost directly behind him and matched his footprints to the kitchen, went out the door and ran to the neighbor, um, you know, and screamed her head off. Right. So then this guy was caught. Uh, but she, she gave an interview to this guy. Um, and I really struggling why I forgot his name, but, um, he wrote this book gift of fear. Uh, but she said, I knew it. I, I should have listened to my gut. And the only reason why I'm alive today is because I listened to basically how to get out of the situation alive. She just, she just was on autopilot. Right. And she knew, she knew something was wrong when this, when this guy was following her up the stairs, 
Um, but she told herself, she, she explained to him, she told herself, I didn't want to appear like I was that woman who was afraid of everybody or who, um, you know, yeah. So, so women, I'm female and women, I can tell you that, that most women are very aware of their surroundings, um, especially around, you know, late at night, strange men, right. That they don't know or, or aren't friends of friends, or I'm not talking about the work setting. <laughs> I'm talking about just, just random, random times when you're maybe alone, you're walking down the street, you're in a parking garage and somebody just comes up to you or somebody starts chatting with you and they, and they want, there's some, there's like clear signs of, of people that, that want something from you. They want to help you or they tell you, I'm not going to hurt you. Or they tell they try to get buddy, buddy with you. Or they try to pretend like you're on their team. Like um, he tells this story about a girl talking to this one guy on an airplane who wanted her, you know, to share a ride after. And most people would say that that sounds normal. Like I would do like me, I would do that if I was talking to somebody, shared a cab, sure. But he gave her weird vibes and he was asking her personal questions. Like, are you, you traveling alone? Where are you going? And, and, and the age gap, it just was a mismatch. It, w- it wasn't like they were pr- both professionals within the same industry or they had any, anything in common like that. Uh, but it was like a forced, a forcing of commonality. Oh, this fight was delayed. Oh, I guess we're going to be in this together. This is one of the tactics that, that they, that they, that he mentions in the book. But the point is, is that with the woke culture today, we know that women are more vulnerable because they can, they're physically, uh, um, they have less physical strength. That's just the fact of nature. Now, it's not the case with every man and woman, but it's a statistic, right? And women know this, like, and men know it too. And, you know, statistically, more men victimize women than the other way around. That's a statistic. That's an observation that we have and we can use. Now, in today's society, they would say, you're supposed to ignore this. You're supposed to ignore this. And the woman who was victimized, the story that I told, she basically was um, saying, no, I'm not going to think this way about this guy. Um, I'm not going to think this way. I'm going to think he's a good guy. Um, She was rationalizing her fear. And that's what, what made her a victim. Now, I'm not saying that you treat everybody you know, this way or that you're fearful of everyone, but there's certain cues. There's certain things that, that you can use your intuition for. Uh, and it's really to, to know, or it's really to protect you. Uh, but, but it's almost like in today's society, we're not, we're not allowed to, to observe patterns, to, to, um, to make predictions, uh, even for our own safety. Um, he tells this story he says that um, the author will say um, an animal will never get into a steel cage voluntarily um, on its own free will. They're never going to rationalize that. Oh, I don't want to be racist. Oh, I don't want to be that woman. You know, I don't want to look like that. Um, they're never going to say that. Right. But a, but a, but a, but a human person will. They will be afraid to get into a steel cage or an elevator with this, with another person they're, they're afraid of. They think something's off, but they'll do it anyways because they'll rationalize their, their behavior. Oh, I don't want to be that person. Um, I don't want to think that way. And to me, um, you should be allowed to basically do anything to protect yourself and to prevent a possible harm. Maybe he's the sweetest guy in the world. But you don't know that, right? I don't know that. All I know is that he's bigger than me. I don't know anything about him, right? And maybe the way he looks, maybe the way he's dressed, uh, something about him, maybe the way he's talking to me, I don't like it. And I'm not going to get into an elevator with you. You can call me racist all day, but I'll still be alive and I won't be raped. Like, that is how most females think, but that's how we used to think. I think this way. But a lot of women today are being brought up in this world where they're just not allowed to observe their surroundings and make um, judgment calls because they rationalize it away. I don't want to be this person, right? Um, and chances are they're probably going to be fine. We you know when they do that, 
Uh, but but uh, there's those cases where something bad's in, bad ends up happening to them, and they really should have listened to their gut, uh, but they didn't, or they or you know they rationalized it away. But um, but this relates to the idea that we're we're I you know we're not even allowed to observe reality to make predictions anymore. We're even for your own safety, right? Um, they're, they just won't allow it. They won't allow it because it might offend certain people. Now, I don't think men are going to be offended if, if, you know, somebody went on television saying, oh, women are afraid of, afraid of strange men because they're more, they, they can overpower them. Uh, and that's why a gun is the great equalizer, right? Because you can be a weaker female and there could be a man trying to kidnap you. Um, but if you have a gun, technically that sort of evens the playing field in a way. Um, so if you take away our ability to even have guns, you take away the ability of the weak, right, to weaker to defend themselves in a fist fight. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, I thought I was on. A... Hmm. This is showing um, on the Oslo Freedom Conference, and I thought I was talking about um, something else. I must have clicked the wrong go live button on here. Um, I actually forgot how I got on this topic. Oh, I know how. Oh, I never, I never ended it. I, I jumped to the idea that we can, we're not even allowed to observe our reality because of um, this idea that we can't speak. And if we can't speak certain things because they're just off off limits, um, that uh, we're we're basically made to believe certain things, and um, like two plus two equals five, and sort of we're supposed to deny reality, um, even when um, this reality, um, this denial of reality, can harm you, because if you you know we can only survive as humans if we can observe correctly reality and make, you know, um, intelligent uh, predictions about how to survive and how to thrive. And just this concept of, of being told you have to deny reality because if you can't, you can't speak certain truths or you're, that you can't speak even observations. It's not even that they, they don't think you should come to certain conclusions, right? That, that men are stronger than women. It's that you can't even like, make statements that are just in theory, just observations. Um, so I kind of went on a, on a tangent there. Um, but I think it's key that, that, a, that a society have, um, freedom of speech. Um, and if anybody, if anyone wants to call in, I had a caller at one point, I don't know if they disappeared. If anyone wants to call in, uh, you're welcome to, um, uh, someone had a comment about the, I, I, don't, I just don't really know what this comment means um, before. Oh, he's not in the room anymore. So, okay. Or, or he is sometimes. So what's weird to me is um, I think the username of um, the person is different from the name in the chat. So, so if you leave a chat, it looks like it's your username. And then if you look to see who the listeners are, it says a different name. Um, so it says Shane, I'm a listener, but it says something else in the chat. Which kind of makes it a little bit confusing because I see a different name, um, but I see the same picture. So I know it's the same person, but that's, that's odd. Um, but yeah, if, you, um, if, if Shane wants to call in, you can. I tried to figure out what your comment meant. I think you're talking about like an action where your your speech is like threatening harm and then you, you follow up on it. But I think that if you threaten harm, that's actually a crime. Uh, you can't threaten harm for somebody. So um, it's, it's, a, it's considered a threat. I don't know what law that necessarily breaks, but it's definitely... Um, it's definitely something that is treated seriously. And I, I don't, I don't think that threats should of speech should be allowed. Um, I, I don't know what law violates, but again, I think it's, it's like an intent to harm someone. 
so, you know, there's, there's different people who will say, well, how accurate is this? How, what's, are they really being truthful and honest here um, about their intent to cause harm? Um, that's debatable, but I, I don't, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just um, speech that offends someone. So, you know, you're just commenting that a woman, a man can't really be a woman and they, uh, they can't really give birth. Um, so that they're, they're not really a mother. I'm commenting on, on more just statements of reality. Um, not like, I, I don't think anyone would say that this is actively violating the rights of another person or even has the potential to, because how can, how can just a statement like this uh, where there's no threat involved. There's no threat to go do anything to this person. You're just making a statement, your own opinion or an observation. Um, this is, I don't think this is a threat at all. Um, now it might offend somebody, but offense is not a violation of, of rights. Um, when you, when you say that hate speech is a crime, you're basically hate speech like this, that you're calling, you know, one, one per, where you say a man can't be a woman, if that's hate speech, that's violating the rights, I think, of the person who's saying it, not the other way around. Um, so um, one thing I've thought about, okay, I'll just mention this, and then I'm going to end it here unless somebody wants to call in. Uh, this is a little off topic. But one thing I've thought about before is the concept of ostracism. Um, so... I, I think that it's correct to say um, it's not harming somebody else to ostracize someone where you basically ignore them. You don't do business with them anymore. Maybe it's a friendship gone sour. All right. And so um, this does cause emotional pain in the person being ostracized for sure. Right. You could think of kids being bullied in school uh, that are, that are, um, you know, not invited to parties or shunned or whatever. And we, and, you know, social scientists say ostracism is a tool to get the population to sort of behave in ways that, uh, we'd like people to, to, to behave, right? They had this with, you know, don't, don't, um, don't have sex before you're married because you don't want to get pregnant and be, you know, the girl with the baby, right? Uh, unwed. Um, they had things like you shouldn't um, steal, right? Because uh, that's theft and that's harm. And we're going to shun people who steal. Uh, so these ostracism was a tool really before laws were in place, but they also, it's also a very good tool now. I mean, you're ostracized if you don't certain think certain things, right? If you don't go along with the, the woke crowd, um, and, and their ideas, you can be ostracized, right? That's being banned from a, from Twitter or something. That's, that's ostracism in my mind. I mean, let's call it what it is. Um, it's, it's being ostracized from the public square, uh, because your ideas are just treated like they, um, they just are not, um, welcome, right? In this community, not that they're harming anybody, but they're just not welcome. So ostracism, um, is is basically this idea that we don't want to associate with you. And if you believe that all association really should be voluntary and that you can't force someone to hang out with you, right? You can't force someone to be your friend, then it's okay to ostracize someone in theory. But I was thinking about this because we are social creatures, right? We're social creatures. And, um, you know, if you were ostracized back in the day, it could mean, death, right? It could mean death. You're ostracized from the group or you're, and even today, if you're ostracized from the banking system, it, it doesn't mean death, but it means that you're severely uh, limited maybe in banking and, and, you know, getting paid perhaps um, interacting with society. So there's a harm there in a way, but there's also a harm on an emotional level. And this is the thing that I haven't really, I've thought about in the past and I haven't really resolved. Um, if, if ostracism is completely voluntary, so association is completely voluntary and someone ostracizes you, it just means they don't want to hang out with you, but this can cause a severe emotional distress in a person. And I've even heard it described by some social scientists. Now this could be wrong, but I've even heard it described as a pain. Like it, it it's almost like it could be a physical pain inside someone, um, 
And it triggers this, um, this emotional reaction that is like, right? That is like or similar to being punched. Now, it's not like a physical, you don't feel it physically, I suppose, but it, it's supposed to trigger the same pain receptors in your brain. It's supposed to cause a distress, emotional distress. So my question is, if the pain is um, ultimately very similar to someone being like physically assaulted or something, um, is it really, um, can you really say that ostracism is... Um, just completely like voluntary or it's not harming someone. They, cause they say it doesn't violate anybody's rights to ostracize someone. And I tend to agree with that. Uh, and I, Oh, I thought about this like a few months ago and I finally came to a resolution in my mind cause I don't like contradictions in my mind. And there was, and I, 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 I did think about it. Now I'm trying to very hard to figure out what my solution to this problem was. Um, so if it's causing the same pain receptors to go off in your mind, uh, but you're not, it's, it's not being caused by somebody doing anything to you, causing you any kind of harm. It's, it's caused by you, um, you, um, being cast out of the group. So it's caused by, I tend to think that most ostracism is caused by um, by you violating some norm of the group. So you've sort of um, you've offended somebody, or you're just you're just considered strange. Maybe they're afraid of you, uh, but that's so it's in their right to not associate with you anymore. Um, if the if the interaction at first was voluntary. Um, so if it causes the same pain in someone as as like you're being hit or harmed, um, it's just interesting to think of if it's not an, a, a violation of your rights or causing you harm, but yet your mind is being tricked into thinking this ostracism is causing you harm. And, you know, if you put two and two together, a lot of studies will show that a lot of um, – school shooters, you know, were bullied or ostracized or made fun of. Um, so I don't know if this is the correct theory, but they say, oh, well, was the ostracism causing this? Um, they don't necessarily say ostracism is wrong, just that it can lead to people thinking that, um, that they've been harmed, right? So if you've been ostracized, there's usually two paths the social scientists say somebody will take. Either they'll apologize and try to re-enter the group and adjust their behavior to the expectations of the, the members that were doing the ostracism. So they'll conform or they'll, they'll, they'll stop doing a bad behavior they were doing before uh, that caused the group to ostracize them. Um, or they will um, become very offended and sorry, or they will react um where they want to get back at these people. They feel like they've harmed them. They feel pain. They feel like these people who are doing the ostracism caused their pain, right? That they are ignoring them and they've, they've, so bullying, I think I want to separate bullying out because ostracism is different from bullying. Bullying is like picking on someone, um, provoking someone, almost assault. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite call it assault, but, um, I would say that's different than ostracism. Ostracism is just, we're not going to invite you to the slumber party, right? Bullying is, is, is specifically like picking on someone. So let's separate those two out. But if you, even if you're just ostracized from someone, especially if once you belong to a group, you, that this was a voluntary friendship, right? But you've been cast out or you're person, you're, you're not invited now to the, to the parties. Um, you do feel pain, right? You do feel pain. And, um, you know, you could, you could even have a friend group and this happened to me. You could even have a friend group and then you disagreed politically. And then that, you know, they decided they didn't really want to hang out with you anymore. Um, you know, this hurts. And this, this, this is, this is, um, this is a very real thing that happens to even adults. Uh, but you do feel this pain and, um, 
But I think it is wrong to think that these people did something to you, right? That, that it's wrong to think that they harmed you. You feel harm because you've been cast out of, of this little group because of a difference, right? So they're ostracizing you. Uh, but they, but technically this group was formed voluntarily. Uh, your friendship is a mutual thing, right? If someone doesn't want to be a friend and another person does, well, you're out of luck because it's supposed to be voluntary. So, but this does hurt, right? This does hurt you emotionally and you feel sad. Um, but some people react to this as I've been harmed. And I think the difference is, is, is identifying a pain in your system and your brain and saying, well, what caused this pain? And, and making sure that you don't put it on to people that don't deserve, right? That they didn't really do this to you. Um, that the association was voluntary and it could have been, it could be technically ended at any time. Like a friendship could be ended at any time. So, uh, so while we, while we say ostracism, we should really be thinking voluntary, uh, group friendship. And that if, if, you know, someone ends up going a different way politically say, uh, then, um, and if that, if that group doesn't like you because of that, well, then, you know, it, it, the friendship can end and it, the person will feel pain, but that plain pain, um, should be, should be associated with just the pain of losing a friend, um, over, you know, ideas versus, oh, this purposely to me and they, they're causing me emotional pain, uh, because they're, you know, quote unquote, ostracizing me from this group, right. That you were once a part of, but, um, yeah, I was trying to think of, well, if I feel pain, is that a harm? But I mean, you have to figure out where it's coming from and what caused it. Um, and that this emotional pain as humans from ostracism that we, we deal with, we, um, we think of if we feel pain, somebody's at fault. Uh, but in, in the pain is supposed to tell us something is wrong. Like if you touch your hand to a hot stove, you immediately pull it away. And there's a pain receptor there and tells you something is wrong. Um, so if you're ostracized and you feel pain, something is wrong. Uh, so you are, are experiencing an emotional distress. This one social group you were once a part of, um, you know, doesn't want to hang out with you anymore, uh, because of some reason usually. And you can either accept that and find another group, maybe that more aligns with your ideas and accepts you, you know, or you can just ruminate on that and feel sorry for yourself and be really upset at the people who cast you out. Um, and there, that it is a real loss and there is a real pain, but I think you have to identify that this was a voluntary group, uh, and, and that, um, nobody was forcing anyone to be around each other. Um, but I do, I do realize that there is a, there is a real pain that's felt from ostracism. And I could see a, ch a child, like especially a young kid, um, being ostracized and even made fun of. Like, so ostracism usually doesn't include being made fun of. I would say being made fun of is in the bullying camp, which is a separate thing from ostracism. But the two could happen together for sure in high school. I'm sure it goes on. Um, and, you know, I could see the two interacting with each other and um, a kid wanting revenge because not only was he excluded or ostracized, he was actively picked on, right? Because other, when you're in school, you're young, some kids will pick on others. That's just how, I don't know why that occurs, but it just does. Um, it's sort of people, the kids are figuring out where they are in the social hierarchy, the pecking order. Um, it's just a prank. It's just a joke, but it's, um, you know, even young, young, innocent, um, even girls will do, do their own kind of bullying. I mean, it happens, I think, um, in probably all schools, but if you, if you combine those two together, I could see why a kid would, would want revenge. And maybe that's why we see a lot of these, um, kids that are loners, maybe that's not the only reason, but it could be one of the reasons why they feel like they need to get like revenge on classmates or something, uh, because they've been not only ostracized, they're in pain from that, but they're also being bullied or picked on. 
Uh, and so they, there's bullying or picked on. It's a clear like victim and then, um, you know, assailant. So there's, there's, there's a clear harm, I think, bullying. But with ostracism, I don't think there's necessarily a harm because ostracism just means, um, a voluntary group interaction is now, uh, being just, dis- you know, being dissolved. Uh, versus bullying, there's an active, like, um, target of someone, right? Um, there's an active picking at someone or messing with somebody. And I don't know legally, what would you even call that? I mean, maybe it's a version of assault where you're just playing pranks and jokes on someone as a kid. I guess it depends on what the joke is, um, and how far it goes. But, um, but maybe, um, but anyways, I got way off topic. Uh, so if anybody wants to say anything, if not, I'm going to leave it, leave it here.